As we head into 2022, after a year of pretty much unprecedented price growth across all markets around the country, we want to take a moment to reflect on the year that's been, what lessons can be learnt, what do we need to know moving forward. So much has changed in the property market. Is it sustainable? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecaster report, which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au COVID has accelerated progress across many industries and disciplines, often touted to have brought forward a 10 years worth of change into one year. And the impact on the property market has been possibly one of the most visible. It's been a wild ride across the board, mass sea and tree changes leading to dramatic regional price increases. And in cities that they've escaped from, price growth despite a decreasing population, pressure on renters with low rental vacancies pretty much everywhere except in the city apartments. How long? can this go on for? Search data give incredible insights into what's happening on the ground. Today, we're joined by someone who has access to a huge amount of this stuff and knows how to make sense of it. Cameron Kusher is the Executive Manager, Economic Research at REA Group. And he's been there now for a couple of years. After 11 years at CoreLogic, he gets access to all those little key, those uh, keyboard warriors uh, that are in realestate.com.au and what they're looking for. So Cameron, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a while since we last spoke because it was back in 2019, episode 77. So tell us what you've been up to since then at REA Group. Yeah, thanks, Veronica. Um, so for the last two years, we've been looking at more and more of REA's data and looking at ways that we can use that to get unique insights into the housing market. Uh, at the moment, uh, as you mentioned, search data is probably the most unique thing um, that we have. Uh, we have an audience of more than 12 million unique Australians coming and visiting realestate.com.au each, each month, and we can extract a lot of value from that data. So we look at you know things like where people are inquiring, uh, where people are viewing properties, what types of properties they're viewing, um, you know, what price points are those properties at that they're viewing. And I, I think it gives us a unique and valuable insight into to what's actually happening in the market and what the, the new trends are. I mean, search data, it is pretty amazing because it's, it's very much a leading indicator in many ways, isn't it? But can you cast your mind back to 2020, the beginning of 2020 even, and recall any signs that you now know pointed to the boom that we're experiencing? I, I think, if, you know, hindsight's 2020, obviously, <laughs> but what we saw when we went into lockdowns uh, back in, I think it was March. Yep. It seems like a lifetime ago now, but I, I believe it was March last year. What we saw is um, a very rapid decline in property search activity over that period of time. But what actually happened was the decline only only lasted for about three or four weeks. And then we saw this rapid rebound in, in search volumes on a week-to-week basis. Uh, now, it was hard to know at the time whether that was just people being at home bored and having nothing to do <laughs> or whether that was genuinely that people were starting to look for properties. And initially, it probably was just a bit of boredom, you know, something to do. Um, people weren't working, uh, people were spending a lot of time at home. 
But then we saw that sustained and we saw it continually growing and growing and growing. And uh, Obviously, you had the Reserve Bank start cutting interest rates. The international borders were shut. We saw that it was going to, they were going to be shut for some time. And I think pretty quickly we saw evidence that, hey, actually, um, you know, JobKeeper and things like that are, are really helping people um, through COVID, whereas we didn't see that in a lot of other parts of the world. Uh, Home Builder was announced in, in June, and, and I think it pretty, pretty quickly became obvious that actually we're looking at a lot of people here that are wanting to upgrade their home. They can't go and do that international travel that they used to do. You know, they couldn't really even do domestic travel. They weren't going into the office, so they weren't paying tolls. They weren't spending on public transport. They weren't buying out their lunch every day. Um, they weren't doing all those social things. They weren't going to the pubs because the pubs were shut. And I think very quickly it became clear that people were actually going to say, you know, the one thing we can do is get into a nicer home. <laughs> we can buy a second holiday home somewhere on the coast. And, and, you know, at the time it probably wasn't that clear, but certainly looking back, there was a lot of evidence pretty quickly that, that the housing market was going to be a strength uh, through COVID. It's amazing how we sort of all move on mass, isn't it? Now, you mentioned about the second home phenomenon uh, and the increase in, in that. What, I guess, is that sustainable? Is that something that's been a bit of a one-off, oh, I can't go on my skiing holiday in Aspen, so I'll buy another home? Or do you think that that's actually going to be a continued t- a trend? I believe it probably won't be as strong of a trend as what we've seen um, because the, the world and the rest of Australia is opening back up to everyone. Um, but, but I think that if people are able to re- work remotely uh, or go into the office on a less regular basis, you might find that there is a lot of attraction to having that second home. You know, you might, you might live in your house in the city one or two days, three days a week. Um, I guess it also depends where you are in your life cycle. If you've still got mm. kids at school, you can't just disappear off um, off to the holiday uh, to the holiday home during the week. But you know, if you're an older couple, you know maybe you have a couple of days a week in the city, and then you spend the rest of the time at your your coastal property. Uh, even if you do have kids, you know maybe you take if school finishes at three o'clock on Friday, you take off on Friday afternoon and go to the coast and and stay there until. Um, Sunday night when you come back. So I think that there will still be demand for that, but I don't think it's going to be quite as strong because I think we have got through that abnormal period. Uh, if you're in New South Wales and Victoria, you can travel overseas again. Um, traveling interstate is becoming a little bit easier. And I just think generally people are going to be dedicating less of their income to housing going forward mm. and more of their income to services and experiences, whether that be travel whether that be, you know, dining out with friends, going to the movies, even even things as simple as that they can start doing again that they basically haven't been able to do for two years. I find it fascinating, though, that people are so knee-jerky with property, you know, and, and it's, you know, to think about buying another property because, you, because all of a sudden, oh, I don't have anywhere to holiday. <laughs> it sounds so indulgent and awful, really, doesn't it? Because I cast my mind back to the, you know, the GFC and what was the first thing that hit the market? All the holiday homes. <laughs> so are we staring down the barrel and maybe that happening again? And I was wondering with the search data, because if you dig into that, you know, how much of that is dreaming versus actually actively looking to buy? And do you have, I mean, I, I'm guessing that you guys are, you know, got all sorts of little tools there that give you some insights into that, you know, the proportion, yeah, the aspirational bit versus the actual action bit. There, there is a lot of aspirational searching and, and that's undoubted, but we do have, so when someone searches on realestate.com.au, 
we do score them and we score them on the behaviors that they do. So if you come to a property, you look at it once, maybe look at a couple of photos and you never let, look at it again, you're not very engaged with that property. So, you know, the score goes from zero to one. So you might get a score of 0.1 uh, for that. But if you go to a property, you look through all the, you look through all the pictures, you, you know, you save the um, auction time or you save the inspection time, you email the real estate agent or you click on the click to get the real estate agent's number and you keep coming back to that property, then you get scored higher and higher. So we do have this concept of um, demand and you've got low levels of demand and high levels of, uh, of demand. Uh, and, you know, overall search activity reached the highest it's ever been, but we did see a lot of people in that high demand bucket which means that they're very close to making a purchasing decision. Uh, the biggest challenge, I think, for the last two years has been jumping in and out of lockdowns has meant that people that wanted to buy just haven't had that stock available to sell. And mm. I think that's really highlighted in listings, that we've seen this ongoing decline in total listings and new listings have been really volatile. You know, As soon as a lockdown happens, vendors just go, well, it's not the best time to sell, so we're not going to put our properties onto the market. Mm. Hopefully now that, you know, lockdowns ended in October in uh, New South Wales, Victoria and ACT, uh, vaccination rates are very high going into 2022. We won't be faced with lockdowns anymore, but we have seen a big jump in, uh, in new listings since those lockdowns ended. Um, the big question for us will be how long can that continue on and how many of those very high demand buyers have already purchased mm. or will purchase over the next few months and then is there a second wave as big as that, and I suspect possibly not because we've already seen fixed rate interest rates going up. Uh, we've already seen APRA come in and, and um, go with its first round of um, macro prudential controls. And as I said earlier, people just have a lot more freedom now. Mm. Um, they're not stuck at home all the time. They can go and plan an overseas holiday. They can plan a domestic holiday. They're going back into the office. They're seeing friends again. Um, so I think in 2022, whilst I think we'll still see prices increase, uh, in the property market, I don't think it's going to be as strong as what we saw in 2020 or 2021. That's very interesting because I was wanting to ask you about that because obviously the actual behaviour of people online can give us an indication as to where the attention is going. And like you say, when we don't have all those distractions, then properties become quite, you know, we put a lot of attention and money towards it. A couple of things in that. One is that um, you said that you, you because of all these distractions, basically you would imagine that demand from buyers moving into 2022 isn't going to be as strong as it has been in 2021. Price growth um, may still be there, but certainly not at the same intensity. It's been re quite intense throughout 2021, as we all know. But at a more micro level, you guys can actually work out you could almost predict which property is going to go sailing over reserve, couldn't you? Um, because and and I'm, I'm presuming that that data is aggregated, so you know you can't sort of go to the sales agent and specifically say this person with this IP address or email address has visited that property ten times and actually set it out to all you know and, and shared it the most of anybody else. But I would imagine, in an aggregate sense, you can you can give agents that sort of intel, so that they then can also pass it on to their um, to their vendors. What on that sort of agent reporting side of things? This is maybe not your remit, I don't know, but it's just where my brain went. Um, yeah, what insights are they getting now that in the olden days when I was selling, you had no idea you were still blind. 
It, it's definitely not my go-to area, but I do know a little bit about it. So, I mean, a lot of these um, search and demand metrics that I'm talking about, um, that does get fed back to the agents. So, you know, we know how many of these high demand interactions are happening. And, you know, as you'd know, as someone that used to be a real estate agent, those first few days that a property's on the market are really key to, to get those eyeballs. So, you know, we, we could potentially say, you know, this property is going to sell based on how many how many people are coming to that. Um, obviously, all the inquiry gets um, fed through to the to the agents as well. Um, you know, we also do things like score um, those inquiries as well. So, based on that behaviour, we know how quali- we have a pretty good idea of how qualified that lead is. So, if you've got a huge amount of leads, we say these are the ones you chase down first because these are the best quality leads. These are the people um, showing the most interest. Uh, other interesting things that we provide back to the agents is actually telling them which properties they're competing with. So I guess the, the common view from a real estate agent or historically would have been, okay, people are looking at this property. It's a four-bedroom, two-bedroom house. They're also just going to be looking at four-bedroom, two-bedroom houses in this suburb, but that may not actually be the case. They might be ah. thinking of a number of different suburbs. So we can say you know, people that are looking at your property are also looking at these 10 other properties. So this is who you're actually competing with. Um, so there's, there's all that kind of great insight that we can provide um, to our customers in, in the back end of our system. It makes me suddenly want to be a sales agent again just for a minute to experience that level of, you know. I mean, one of the things I often say to, to clients is that, you know, trying to buy property, it, it, talk about information asymmetry, right? And what um, the, the agent knows more, they know more about, they know more about the system, they know more about how that property compares to others, they know more about the inquiry levels, they know more about how many contracts are out, they know more about the owner and their motivation to sell. All of that stuff, the agent knows. And as a buyer's agent, we're trying to fill in the gaps to try to proxy that information as much as possible. But what you're actually saying is you just up the ante. <laughs> they know way more than I even had sort of spent the time thinking. We're making it harder for you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can buyers agents start paying for this data too? <laughs> I, I, I'm actually not sure. Um, I'll, I'll have to come back to you on that, yeah. Oh, look, at the end of the day, what I say to clients is that, you know, you've got three competitors effectively. You've got you've got the agent, you've got the vendor, and you've got other buyers, and you've got to work out who's the dominant player in terms of that those those three competitors. But, um, okay, so this is quite interesting, but I'm also interested too because the thing is that, and I'll get back to sort of more about the data and stuff um, in a minute, but, see, I know from my own studies that, well, there's this, there's this myth in property circles that a rising tide lifts all ships. But as we all know, that if you compare capital growth of individual properties, it varies, right? So you might have um, median growth for a suburb, but that's the midpoint. And so I, I love looking into it sort of on an anecdotal case study uh, research that I do, which is looking into the actual attributes that one property has over another that might lend it to be the overperformer or not. But I guess what you have access to is actually potentially you could use AI to, to really look at those really um, attractive listings, the ones that get that high level of engagement to really pull out, well, what is it that really makes a high performer? And it would change suburb to suburb as well. Is that something that you guys are working on? It's, we've got a lot of things we're working on. It's something we'd like to do. Um, I think one of the things, a lot of the data we report on at the moment is fairly high level, but we do want to get deeper into the data and, and start reporting more trends about both individual properties, you know, precincts within suburbs that may be more desirable than others, and also just more broadly about different property types. So 
I think a really good example is what's happening with listings. So we know that listings are, are quite low for properties for sale. Uh, it's a bit of a different story for, for rentals, but we know the rental market's really tight. So is it is it the case that, yes, there's quite a lot of rentals on the market, but it's a lot of it's one and two bedroom apartments in Melbourne, CBD, that no one wants? Is, is it what everyone's looking for is actually three and four bedroom mm-hmm. houses and there's a real... Um, lack of that stock on the market. So that's what we, we really want to head to is to getting deeper into that data to uh, provide uh, more in-depth and valuable insights than just talking fairly generally about what's happening in the market. So it's, a, it's definitely on the list, but it's a long list of things we, we, we're trying to get to. Now, this is a bit of a meandering conversation because I do have a list of questions, and so now I'm jumping ahead about 10 questions because I did read an article written by one of your team um, on the rental uh, or the rise of investors, I guess, um, September came out. I'll put the link in the show notes. So, you know, investor activity across the country. And what I thought was really interesting that when you looked at mortgage data, uh, so loan activity, um, the top three states for loan activity were, or states and territories was number one, Northern Territory, <laughs> number two, ACT, number three, WA. Now, ACT, I get because they have had that, you know, it's really pretty solid price growth. Um, and they've got good rental market as well in terms of, you know, good yields and all the rest of it compared to, say, Sydney. Um, and I know investors tend to pile into the market a little bit late as well. They sort of watch the price growth and they go, oh, good, it's about time to buy. Um, but Northern Territory and WA have got me stumped because. Well, you know, they've been languishing in the doldrums for so long and some some owners, because I looked at the pain and gain report from CoreLogic and, and you can see that there's been an increase in listings and a decrease in loss-making sales <laughs> as as people who have sat on these dud, dud uh, investments for many, many years, sometimes say 10 years or so, have decided to finally just cut, cut, and, cut and run. But others look like they're seeking opportunity in these markets and that just astounds me. But then looking at your search data in terms of inquiry, Inquiry, Brisbane is by far number one, and then I think it's NT, and then I think it then it's Darwin, and then Perth. What is going on? <laughs> yeah, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, you say you can understand ACT, you know, a very transient population there, a, a high share of um, investment properties in that market, and it's kind of similar in, in Northern Territory. But the gross rental yields in in Darwin and the Northern Territory are actually quite strong. So one theory is maybe people are, are, hunt, are starting to think about hunting yield. You know, interest rates are still very low. Um, also, you know, Northern Territory's had pretty good st- price growth over the last 12 months, which it basically hasn't had for the best part of a decade. Mm. So I suspect that Western Australia is probably a bit of a head scratcher because you know, they've effectively seceded from Australia during COVID. No <laughs> one can get in, no one can get out. Um, but I think in some ways that's actually benefiting um, Western Australia as well, because they were losing a lot of people to other parts of the country. And now that people basically haven't been able to leave Western Australia, um, you know, maybe people are thinking, no, I can work remotely, I can stay in stay in Perth, stay close to home, and uh, and still do my job. So I think maybe that's part of it. In terms of our inquiry data, though, yes, definitely Southeast Queensland from investors is is the area that's really going bang uh, gangbusters in terms of inquiry, and it's it's not. Golden Sunshine Coast necessarily, although they, they are right up there, but it's places like uh, Logan City and Bow Desert. <laughs> it's places like um, Ipswich as well. And mm. now I've been kind of racking my brain as to why this is. And, and I think, and I, I live in Brisbane, just so your listeners know, I think 
people in Brisbane tend to turn their nose up a little bit at those those places. But if you're live, if you've come from Sydney and you know you're a house a similar distance from Brisbane as Ipswich or, or Logan City would be costing you close to, if not in excess of a million dollars. You can go and buy a property in these areas for four hundred thousand dollars. You know, Logan City is halfway between Brisbane, halfway in the Gold between the Gold Coast. Um, Ipswich, um, you know, there's, there's train lines there. It's a lot quicker to get into Brisbane from Ipswich than it is from, say, you know, Penrith to to Sydney or Cranbourne to Melbourne. So I think whilst Brisbane people might turn their nose up at these places, if you if you've got a bit of perspective and you're coming from Sydney or Melbourne or other parts of the country. You would look at this and just go, this is dirt cheap. Why don't I maybe, you know, buy one for myself and buy an investment property as well? Or if, you, if you're looking for investment opportunities outside of, of Sydney or Melbourne, then they do look pretty attractive. They've got decent yields, prices are pretty low, uh, and both of those areas are seeing a lot of new development and a lot of people pushing into and, and, and uh, moving into those areas. Yeah, I can, I can get, it's a good example about certain pieces of data can lead you down a path that might not necessarily actually help you achieve what your dreams are. So, <laughs> because when you do, it, in fact, a lot of these areas where the investor interest is showing have not actually de- delivered in a capital growth sense for a decade. And, and Logan in particular has been, was touted by agents and everybody, all the spruikers, you know, as the growth corridor is just because people are building property doesn't necessarily make it a good investment. And certainly on, on all the forums and, and little Facebook groups and whatever that I'm sort of, I, I look at these questions and comments and and there is that affordability drive that people decide that they, they can't afford Sydney. And, and sometimes it's not even that they can't afford Sydney or Melbourne, it's just that they decide they only want to allocate $400,000 to an investment, as you say. And they think, that's that's insane. These people have to work it out. Bris- Brisbaneans, they don't know what they're missing. <laughs> There's definitely a bit of that. Um, but you're right. And I guess some investors probably look at it as an opportunity. Well, the market hasn't moved in 10 years. Um, we know that I know everyone's putting a lot of hope on the Brisbane Olympics and I kind of, I, I try and temper that a little bit, but you know that there is going to be some infrastructure development. Um, there are already a lot of people moving to Southeast Queensland and, and, you know, maybe there is that belief that, um, given the affordability differential between Sydney and Melbourne, more and more people will continue to move across the border up north. And these places will start to finally see some of that price growth that's been missing for the best part of the last decade. <laughs> there are, with the, the migration around the country, in a lot of sea and tree changes, there's a real growing uh, pressure on affordability with diminishing rental stock coinciding with rising uh, property prices. Is there any sign of that abating, do you think? Uh, there's not yet any sign of that abating um i i think potentially once you know now that we've got things open back up again uh, once we start to see more people internationally coming back into the country we might start to see more of a movement back into those inner city areas but in terms of of the regional markets you know the the biggest challenge ultimately in a lot of these places is getting more supply like housing is a lot cheaper in regional australia but there does, there's not a lot of development that goes on in a, in a lot of parts of regional Australia. So it's kind of people moving out of the capital cities is one answer to the affordability challenge, but it won't be the answer unless we actually get that supply response when people move to those areas. And 
when you're talking about small suburbs or small locations, you know, just a couple of hundred people moving to those areas mm. can make a big difference in demand and can push prices and rents up um, dramatically. I guess one hope for rents would be that um, with, uh, with things reopening back up again, maybe some people that move to the coast, uh, move to these coastal areas, um, discover that it's not for them or they're better being back in the capital city now that things are back to normal. So maybe that will ease some of that pressure. Um, but ultimately, I think you need more supply in these areas and there's not a lot of sign of that happening. Certainly in some of the bigger areas like, for example, Geelong or Wollongong or Golden Sunshine Coast, Newcastle, yes, there are people developing stock. Um, but if you look further afield, obviously Byron's a, Byron Bay is a great example of that. Mm. There's nothing being built there. And, um, you know, property price, the median house price is about $2.5 million now. Uh, I, I can't, unless everyone just goes, you know, this place isn't for us anymore, I can't see that rectifying itself anytime soon. No, and it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the, all the charm and the magic that uh, leads people to want to move there in the first place, the minute you start overdeveloping an area, loses its charm magic and gets traffic jams. In fact, the traffic in Byron is pretty horrible, really. Um, well, it's been horrible for 20 years yeah. and it's even worse now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So, you know, you can sort of understand the NIMBY saying, I don't want this to change. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, we've got people moving there, then yeah, it's it's an issue. It also pushes out the, you know, longstanding locals in many cases too who don't have the incomes that people coming from outside do have. What Back to the um, the search data, what sort of filters, because people can sort of search on keywords and they can search on all sorts of you know, price brackets. What sort of filters are people using and what sort of changes are you seeing in the way or what people are looking for and what's important? If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. You'd actually be pretty surprised. Most people don't use any filters at all, mm. um, which to me is, is shocking because I think I always want to narrow down to what I need. But the vast majority of people searching don't use filters. Mm. Um, but you could probably say the people that are filtering uh, are a little bit more qualified and a little bit more understanding of what they actually want. But you know, the, the main thing that people will filter on is obviously the property type. So you filter out units, townhouses, houses, um, things like that. Uh, the other things that people will filter on is um, is the price. Um, so people obviously have a good understanding of how much they can borrow, so they don't want to get uh, too carried away looking at stuff that they can't afford. And then bedrooms and bathrooms uh, are the other big one that people search on. Um, one thing we have noticed since COVID hit is a very big increase, and obviously this is partly the market because prices have, have risen, but a big surge in the number of searches for properties over a million dollars. And that's a, that's a phenomenon we've seen right across the country. So if you look in Sydney, for example, uh, the most recent data we have, more than a quarter of all property searches um, had a, uh, that had a, search, a price search filter uh, were searching for properties over a million dollars. Uh, in Melbourne... But in uh, Sydney, there's not now- much you can get under a million, so no. that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> 
but even in Melbourne, uh, you know, it's fifty five percent of searches mm. were over a million dollars in in a market like Brisbane. Um, thirty two percent of properties, thirty two percent of searches were over a million dollars. At the same time, last year it was twenty two percent. So you can see a pretty big increase, and I, and I think this talks to the fact that people have been uh, well. We've had very low interest rates, so that's encouraged people to take on more debt. Mm. Uh, it's also driven up prices, but also just. The COVID restrictions have meant that people are comfortable dedicating more of their income towards housing and they say, you know what, um, let's spend a bit more, let's get that nice house, let's get the pool, let's get the extra study because, you know, both of us are going to be working from home on a more regular basis and we're going to need our own spaces. So, uh, and, and ultimately that means that people have to spend more on, uh, on their residential properties. In and terms of, I was sorry. about to say low interest rates as well. What I've seen, and Chris and I have discussed this, is that quite a lot of people who were would have looked to actually buy an investment property, but now with with such low interest rates, they're saying, you know, it actually makes more sense to upgrade my home. Um, so therefore, I guess that that would feed into they're looking in a higher price brackets as well. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a lot of that, and and one of the other really interesting things we've seen in terms of what people are searching for, the, the product type. Um, in the capital cities, we've seen more searches for properties with at least three bedrooms. Um, that's, I mean, the movement year on year is not huge, but we're seeing more people search for properties with more than three bedrooms. Uh, and what and in regional areas, we're actually seeing, now, now there are a larger share of searches for properties with more than three bedrooms in regional areas. But it's actually come back slightly. So I think what we've actually started to see when you break that down to houses and units is there's a lot fewer people looking for one and two bedroom apartments in the capital cities. Um, so, and people are looking for larger three and four bedroom properties, five bedroom properties as well. In regional parts of the country, um, there are a lot of investors looking for one and two bedroom apartments in you know some of these bigger coastal areas. So that's why the share of searches uh, for one and two bedroom properties has actually increased a little bit in those regional areas. And I think it'll be, again, it'll be quite interesting over the next couple of years to see how that evolves because, um, you know, do people who can work remotely find that they want that one and two bedroom apartment in the, in the coastal location and the four or five bedroom house in the capital city or does that actually flip? I want mm. to spend more time at the coast so I want the four or five bedroom property at the coast and I want the one or two bedroom apartment in the city because I'm probably only going to base myself there one or two days a week and spend the rest of my time uh, in, the, in the coastal area. So I think that's going to be a really interesting trend to look at how that plays out over the next couple of years. Anecdotally, we're seeing that in Sydney. Uh, we certainly are seeing people that are spending, you know, have either bought a place outside the city um, or already had it, and now selling the family home here and um, buying, a, you know, a large one better. Uh, they, you know, there's a premium you pay for a particularly large one better, not you know, not your little stock standard little ones. Um, and obviously, the two betters, you know, good two betters, the price just had a big hike, and then uh, I think that sort of sent these people looking at those larger one betters rather than the substandard two better. What do you think? I mean, because generally speaking, you know, we all know that this boom that we've been experiencing has been led by owner-occupiers and it's certainly that upgrader push and I think it sort of stands to reason. I mean, you've talked about a lot of the behavioural aspects of being locked up, not able to travel, but there's also that aspect of um, uh, I'm locked in my home and we're all working here and schooling here. I need more space. You know, <laughs> it's that I hate my home now. And But what's been holding investors back, do you think? 
I think I think it's actually a little bit of a misnomer that investors have been holding back. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the the lending finance data, investor lending has been ramping up for the best part of the last twenty four months. It's just that it's been so overwhelmed by the number of first home buyers and owner occupiers upgrading that, in terms of the share of the market, it hasn't moved much. But in terms of the actual value of lending, it has been uh, it has actually been increasing. Um, I, I think maybe for a lot of investors. Um, as you said, the first priority was to get themselves a better home that they live in now and then start to look at investment. Um, you know, maybe just the uncertainty has, has weighed quite heavily on some investors as well. Um, now that there is a much clearer path out of COVID, now that we've got vaccines, now that most people are vaccinated, now that things are starting to open up, maybe there's a level of comfort now mm. um, from investors. Yeah, I, I think they're probably probably the main ones. And I think you know, there was a lot of stimulus in place for first home buyers as well. You got the twenty five thousand dollar first um, first home mm. owners. Oh, not, what was it called? Um, home, home builder. builder. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of the state governments were were providing you know state duty exemptions and other incentives for first home buyers. So you know, perhaps investors have just said, you know, there's too much first home buyer activity. We know that once this stimulus comes out of the market, it'll wane, and that'll be our opportunity to get into the market. But I think the smarter investors were probably buying. 18, 24 mm. months ago. Yes, um, in July. And, 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 well, I mean, if they, bought, if they bought 18, 24 months ago, they would have seen 20% price growth. And as long as they didn't buy an apartment in Sydney and Melbourne, they've seen probably 6 or 7% um, increase in rents as well. Um, those jumping in now probably aren't going to see those same sort of increases over the next few years as what we've seen over the last two years. And that is interesting because what is happening with rents? Because, of course, we've also had quite a lot of investors decide to cash out. And so the actual uh, stock, that's contributed to um, a shortage of um, stock, rental stock in a lot of areas and um, except, you know, inner Sydney and Melbourne basically. Um, But, yeah, so generally speaking, what is happening? I mean, do you say 6 to 8% increase in rents in the last 12 months? But yeah, uh, in most parts of the country, mm. we've seen you know six seven percent growth in in rents over the last month. But as you said, we we do look at this, and we have seen that over the last eighteen months, there have been a lot of people that own rental properties cashing out. Um, I was recently talking with some um, some um, people that work in the rent space, and they were saying you know a lot of these investors, um, particularly in places like Western Australia and Queensland. They bought these properties 10, 15 years mm. ago. They haven't seen any growth. They finally seen 15, 20% increase in, in prices. And they're saying, well, I'm going to take that and, and, and get out of the market. So um, one, one lady I was speaking to was saying she's losing about five to 10 people a week from her rent roll, just people that have had these investment properties forever. There's finally been a bit of growth. They're selling out and they're not selling out to other investors. Mm. They're selling out to owner occupiers. So um, that's certainly a challenge in the rental market at the moment as well, that we have got this thinning out. Now, there are some signs that investors are starting to come back. And if that continues, then that will obviously help. But I think the one thing we probably don't think about so much is now that domestic borders are going to open back up, you know, the people start looking at putting and international borders are opening back up, the people start to move out of the long-term rental market and put it back into Airbnb and Mm. stays and some of these shorter-term rental accommodations. And that's probably not going to have too much of an impact in the capital cities. Um, It'd probably actually be 
a good thing for the long-term rental market in Sydney and Melbourne. <laughs> but in these coastal locations, if people start doing that again, then you're going to see this further tightening of, of, of rental availability in these areas and people just aren't going to be able to find things. Yeah, it's a real issue because, you know, years ago when I was filming the relocation, relocation, and, you know, it was quite obvious that you really needed to rent in a place to experience a, a place, if you're making a big move, to to get to understand the dynamics of that area, make sure you really want to be there and make a better decision in terms of your ultimate purchase. But that's, that's not been available for people to do, to actually go there and try before they buy. So then that forces them into a bit of a FOMO situation so that you can see why prices have been rising. And then I, I really... I feel for the original community in these places that are now competing with city dollars that, you know, they haven't had to compete with in the past. Um, it's interesting how it's created a whole new problem, you know, a whole new brand of affordability problem in this country. Yeah, it, it has. I think that, um, you know, if someone owns a property in Sydney and Melbourne and moves out anywhere else, and if a lot of people do that, there's no chance the locals can compete for that. And, mm. and that's not just in coastal markets. I mean, that's the same in a market like Brisbane, that same in Hobart. Mm. You know, when people move out of these areas, if, if you've owned a house in Sydney for 10 years, if you've owned a house in Melbourne for 10 years, you've seen a lot of increase in your property prices. And they were already a lot more expensive than these other parts of the country as well. So they just got so much more buying power. Mm when they move out of those cities than, than anyone else locally or coming from other parts of the country do. And that's a challenge. But the, the rent one's exactly right. You know, people haven't been able to go and try these places. They probably holidayed in these areas before, mm. but the reality is, you know, somewhere that's enjoyable on a holiday may not actually be that enjoyable to, to live <laughs> full time, but they, they haven't been given that opportunity to go and rent for six or 12 months in a lot of instances. They've just had to sort of dive in and, say we're committed to this and again that might be an interesting trend if we do see a reversal of all these people that have moved to these areas after a year or two actually realize you know i've moved away from all my friends mm. my family's still back in the capital city um this is not really working out for me that, that's certainly something that we could see i do wonder whether there will be a u-turn um in some areas and you know you've said that yourself so yes we'll, we shall watch with interest to see if that happens and when it start ha starts happening is that something that you you know in terms of search data does that do you suddenly you know would you see that in terms of a sudden increase in uh, interest in back in the cities i mean how would that play out in terms of the way people search online yeah i mean that's probably the big one um at the moment We've seen this big surge in, in um, regional search activity. Um, if that started to abate and we continue to see a bit of a surge in, in capital city searches, um, we can also look at things like where people are searching from and to. Mm. Um, so we would potentially see, you know, for example, a lot of searches that were from um, Wollongong going back into, into Sydney or going mm. back into Canberra or things like that. So there are ways to, to potentially look at, um, that over time and it's 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 um it's data that we'll be keeping a close eye on to see if we can pick up any of those trends um on an early basis because it's, it's really important mm. for us to understand but also for our customers to understand if those those trends are starting to reverse i know i'm quite fascinated with that are, are there any markets that you see that actually are showing more signs or any signs of pressure i guess at the moment or it's still at the moment just upward pressure at the moment, I mean, 
it's it's largely still upward pressure. I would say that probably over the last four or five months of 2021, we have seen a bit of a slowdown in price growth. Um, so the pressure's not as severe as it was. Um, you know, in in Melbourne, it, it, some of these areas that were really popular early in the pandemic, they're still very popular, but the popularity is still not growing. Uh, the, the growth in that popularity is slowed. So places like uh, Mornington Peninsula, um, some of the outer areas of Brisbane, um, uh, even places like Southern Hi- the Southern Highlands in New South Wales, still very popular, but the popularity is not really growing as much anymore. So things are starting to calm down a little bit in those areas as well. How, um, how are so you the- measuring that popularity though? Is that is that sort of uh, inquiry per listing or just literally how many people put those locations into their search in the first place? So it's search and it's breaking that search into that higher level of demand as mm. well. So we, we're just not seeing that same level of growth in those areas. So I, I, I do suspect that as as things get back to normal, I think that we will see less demand for regional properties. Um, my suspicion, though, is that there's still going to be quite strong demand in areas relatively close to capital cities. So I think places like Geelong, um, even even though I said it was slowing a bit, Southern Highlands, mm. Wollongong, um, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, I think those are the areas that will probably hold up reasonably well because if you only have to go into the office maybe one or two days a week, you can commute from those yeah. markets. You wouldn't want to be doing it five days a week, but two days a week is, is certainly doable. I think the places where we might start to see things come off a bit is more remote areas. So Coffs Harbour has been an area that's been really strong for the last 18 months or so. The reality is it's pretty hard to commute to anywhere from Coffs Harbour unless you're prepared to jump on a plane and fly <laughs> to Sydney and then fly home. So I think those areas um, will probably lose a bit of their appeal as things get back to normal just because they're too far away to, to commute. Um, they're more of a, a holiday getaway destination. Um, but but I think that we will still see um, – I think a lot of it's going to be determined by what businesses decide to do. Businesses are saying at the moment you don't have to come back into the office or you only mm-hmm. have to come in one or two days a week. Um, but humans are a creature of habit. So, you know, if five years down the track that becomes, you know, four or five days back in the office, then some of these areas that people have decided to move to um, they're not going to be as livable as they are when you're only going back into the office one or two days a week. I think too, though, that it seems to be that when you go out beyond that sort of two or three hour commute, it used to be the two hour commutes maximum, and then then it sort of gets extended to three hours. And if you go out beyond that, that's really affordability that's pushing people, you know, beyond those boundaries, right? And so, I guess. You know, it's like anything. If the only reason that you would go that far is because that's affordable, and then if you became more affordable to be closer in, of course you're going to go closer in, aren't you? I mean, it's human behaviour. Like that's no it. Brainer. Yeah. And I, I think it depends a lot on um, what types of jobs you do. You know, mm. if you're a if you're a computer programmer just sitting at your computer doing coding all day, <laughs> I personally don't really understand why you would need to be in in an office. But there's certainly other parts other roles in businesses where you need to be collaborative you need to go into the office and doing it over zoom is just not going to cut it so mm. i think it will also large it will largely be dependent on who has decided to move to these areas and what what the flexibility that their mm. business gives them um, allows them to do i mean we i know people up here that work for rea in in queensland that live on the Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast, and you might see them once a month. 
um, but they've got a job they can do from home. Mm. But you now a salesperson's role you can't do from home. Um, you know, people in marketing and things like this, they need to be collaborative, so they need to come in and visit people. But but certainly there's different jobs that, you know, I think I think businesses are actually going to have to get to a point where there's rules for some sort of roles and different rules for other sorts of roles. And I think that people will push for that. Well, it comes back to that acceleration of change that probably would have taken a decade to happen otherwise, but now it's like, okay, work from home, we need a policy. <laughs> we, we need to work out how we how we make this thing happen. And I, I know that a lot of people want to go back to the office. I know that they've, they've had enough. Of, and, and interestingly enough, it's a bit funny, and this is purely anecdotal and only just my own small sample of people I talk to, but it seems to be the extroverts prefer to work at home and the introverts are actually wanting to move back to the office. That's what I'm finding really uh, unusual. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely an introvert and I'm, I'm fairly comfortable at home. I, right. do, I do like to get into the office every now and again. Um, but um, I, I, I found personally, I, I find the office to be a bit of a productivity killer. So, if, so do if, I. I know <laughs> if I've got a bit of a quieter day, I'm happy to go into the office. But if I really need to get things done, I find the office so distracting now. Um, so, and, and I think it's it's weighing that up, and, and a lot of people are going to be <laughs> facing those challenges going forward. Well, you just ruined my sample there because you know I'm an extrovert, and I and I don't. I'm loving not being in the office, although I've been back in the office for the last few weeks. But um, you know, I, yeah, it is a productivity killer. <laughs> Anyway, that's uh, people like to learn from people like us, right? You know, you've got loads and loads and loads of, of um, knowledge to pass on and you've got the same, you know, in my situation with some of my staff as well. Now, Cameron, have you come equipped or has this conversation given you – actually, before I ask you for a property Dumbo, I am going to ask you for a Dumbo, um, what, what do you think are the important things that – Really, we need to take moving into 2022 um, because it's almost forgotten to ask this very important question. Um, you, you know, things have changed. The property market has changed and there are some new challenges and then there's the same old challenges over and over again. What, what, where does the focus need to be for people, you know, making decisions, whether they already own the property or whether they're, they're thinking of selling, whether they're just thinking of holding, or whether they're thinking of buying? What, what's important for you? Uh, I think for me, I think the, the big things that people need to be wary of is or aware of is that we're moving into a very different situation. I mean, for the last 30 years, interest rates have been coming down. Mm. Um, and obviously, when interest rates come down, there is an adjustment in prices upwards. And, and, and that's what we've seen basically for the last 30 years since the 1991 recession. Um, the Reserve Bank has flagged that interest rates aren't likely to rise until late 2023, late 2024. But I think people need to be preparing themselves for what that means. Now, interest rates aren't going to go up without wage growth, without inflation. So people's ability to repay the mortgages in some ways, um, those increases in wages will hopefully offset um, the, the increase in their mortgage repayment. Are we moving into a very different environment because interest rates can't really go down any further than they they have, and that me and and I by no means do I think interest rates are heading back to ten percent or seventeen percent or anything <laughs> like that. But people are going to be because we have taken on and, and dedicated a lot more of our income to housing through COVID. People are going to be a lot more impacted when interest rates do start to to rise. Um, so I think people need to be starting to think about that now. 
Um, obviously, a lot of people have locked in a fixed rate mortgages as well because there were some great offers available. Uh, we've already seen that fixed rate mortgage rates have increased uh, while variable rates are still falling. But you know, if you've lost, locked in for three or four years, you're going to be potentially facing a much higher interest rate when you mm. do roll up off that um, locked in period as well. So I think people need to be starting to think about these things right now. Um, you know, hopefully we get wage increases, but I don't think you can bank on that. So I, I think people really need to be starting to think um, early about what this is going to mean when we do get interest rate increases and when our fixed rate mortgage periods end. It is hard to think of that when you're desperately trying to get into the market, you know. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it is really important that we all take this whole buying process very, very, very seriously and an ownership process as well. And and I know um, I did a, some research back in the last dip of the market, right, and I was looking at people that had bought in the 18 months, or actually in the one year leading up to the peak of the last the last boom in Sydney. So that's, that's people who bought between mid-2016 and mid-2017. And then such a – I had 50 people that then on sold within 18 months of that downturn and you know that's a that's without really hunting at every single property that had transacted again in that period of time that's quite a lot 50 just without really trying too hard to find them and i'm seeing i haven't tallied up but actually at the moment i'm seeing quite a lot of resales from people who bought a year ago in the middle of sort of the first lockdown where well probably 18 months ago now where they're they're probably just cashing in going my god never thought this had happened <laughs> yeehaw um but this sort of cavalier attitude towards buying and selling property uh, is something that that I'm at great pains to to slow people down to say, you know what, this is a serious business. You could get stuck here. You know, you're not in charge of the cycle. You don't know how to read it. I'd, I'd love, I'd dine out every time I either sell or buy at particularly the right time or advise someone else to. But honestly, I read it, but there's still an element of luck in that in terms of the timing. We only ever know after the event. So I think that just that calming voice, remember, interest rates can go up, people, is a very good point. I think it's, I think it's so important because I think that we look at cheap money at the moment. Money is very cheap and there's not a lot of incentive to save, um, but it's not always going to be that way. Um, so you've got to try and plan a little bit for the future and, and, and realise that, you know, the market can change very quickly and, and depending mm. on what APRA do. We know that uh, late in 2022, they announced that they were going to change the serviceability buffer. Um, they might step back into the market and make other changes as well. And, and, and we saw back in 2016 when they did that, mm. you know, prices in Sydney and Melbourne fell by about 15 to 20% because accessing credit became a lot harder. So yeah. there's no certainty. That, I mean, they could do something like that again and, uh, and you need to be prepared for that. Now, on that, that might lead to a lovely property dumbo. Have you got one for us? Uh, I think the biggest property dumbo I saw recently was a uh, an article about a guy that didn't realise a property was going to auction and uh, and the auction was, was taking place in Sydney, I believe, and he just walked past and started bidding and, and won the auction, uh, which for me is a, a, as a quite a conservative uh, person. Um, for me, that's a big property dumbo to just walk past the property and decide you're going to buy it, especially under the hammer. Uh, when you, when you, the guy said he'd never even looked at the property. He, he'd seen the outside of it, but he'd never been inside. Obviously, hadn't read any of the reports from um, building in pest. And, and for me, that's probably my big 
I mean, he's probably still going to be do all right because he's buying property in Sydney, and I think it was on the northern beaches. Um, but to me, that's a bit of a property dumbo. That is a dumbo, and you know, in, and if he's if it was in Sydney, he had to register before he bid too. So that was his opportunity to slow down and think about it. He's obviously not taking that opportunity. I've been at auctions you know, back when I was a sales agent. I, I sold an auction when people, I sold a property to a guy once. I literally decided to take his dog for a walk. It happened to be before Christmas. It was in December. It was a Sunday auction. That's how busy we were. I was doing Sunday auctions and I didn't have a hope in hell of selling this property, I'm telling you. It was tenanted and the back courtyard was full of dog shit. Like it was just and a just terrible presentation. Everyone had decided to go on early holidays. It was one of those years where, you know, booming property market and everyone, is, all the spring stock came on. A little bit was happening uh, at the end of 2021. Lots of stock comes on and buyers go, you know what, I'm going to the beach. I'm over it. And so he literally walked up with his dog and decided to bid and he bought it. <laughs> he was my only bidder. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Nuts. <laughs> I get that. I get that there's despera- desperation to get into the Sydney uh, property market, but you, you've still got to do your due diligence and make sensible decisions. Absolutely, Cameron. That's been a really great, very interesting chat, and really appreciate those insights into you know really what I guess that behaviour. It's it's search data is really just showing what the behaviour how it's manifesting uh, on mass, right? So, uh, it certainly is. Yeah, yeah. Would absolutely love to get you back and talk about this in even deeper. So thank you so much for your time. No worries. Thanks, Veronica. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.